0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: We wanted, my husband and I wanted to take it to the next level, make it as real as possible to normalize the
2: conversation.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am Mike Pearson, joined as always by diligent co-host and avid market watcher, Delaney How <laughs> Delaney, how you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good today, and the markets are not doing pretty good today.
0: They're doing great if you're a buyer.
2: Yeah, well, I always, I don't know, I, I guess because maybe I was raised as a farm kid, I always think about it from a producer standpoint, and that's maybe wrong with me to do, because we don't have just producers that listen to the podcast.
0: Or just producers that make a market. It is defined right. as between producers and end users. A win for one is a lose, for another, yeah. quite frankly. And today, producers are losing. Sorry, I know we have far more of them that tune into this podcast than end users the markets suck today, everybody.
2: Yeah, they do.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're being honest, given our audience, I think it's fair to say they suck. If you are a cattle feeder, hey, might not be a bad time to lock in some feed needs. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think I mean, it's...
0: You hate to say that, given that Geese is at 455, but, I mean, if you didn't lock in earlier and we were close to 360, oh boy, any step back certainly seems like a good time to lock it in. Delaney, mm-hmm. you mentioned yesterday... We're going to open up some acres for grazing and silage on September one rather than November one. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a tight scramble for feed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we had, if you guys will recall, hopefully if you haven't heard or if you haven't heard the episode with Daniel Olson from last week, I encourage you to go back and re-listen to it, especially if you're a producer faced right now with a decision of. Do I take prevent plant? Do I not take prevent plant? Now this new September 1st deadline allows folks to take prevent plant and put cover crops or some sort of forage crop on there. And as Daniel Wilson mentioned last week, were any forage crisis, he sent me a little recap yesterday after the announcement of the opening of USDA or by USDA for those oh. earlier grazing periods. He has quite a few solutions for folks to help with coming up with plans essentially i'm not going to go through each of those plans awesome. but but i encourage you guys to listen to that episode i believe he shared his contact info during that episode but just to jump into it yeah. since i'm segueing all all the way into this it now seems like there are essentially four different ways that folks can or will receive payments this year because of the crazy weather that we've been having mike
0: Okay, break it down for us, Lenny. What do you got?
2: Sure. So, of course, the first one is going to be the MFP payments for trade impacts specifically. But, again, you only get that money if you plant a crop. Secretary Purdue has said that he's unsure yet if they're going to allow cover crops to be part of that groupings, such as yeah. legumes, hey, alfalfa, cereal rye. But he said they're considering it. They might consider making hmm. a, quote, minimum payment. So maybe not the same as other crops, but it looks like we may potentially see a payment there. We also know. Yeah, let's make
0: that, let's make that program more complicated. Great idea, (laughs) USDA.
2: Hey, I'm not the one, uh, creating this. I know. You're bringing the news. We
0: appreciate it, later. Yeah.
2: So that's one way. We also saw the, um, the new assistant or the new disaster aid package being presented, passed in Congress, of course, signed by the president. So that will pay out for areas affected by disaster aid for those counties, specifically qualifying as a disaster aid county or emergency county. The question I had, I was talking to my, da- talking to my dad about that the other day. It's like, well, what is the cutoff for the date? Because as we keep going, more and more counties might be declared a disaster county. Good
0: question. Good question. So, Great question. I don't know the answer. You're right. We've got more right. rain sweeping across the heartland today as we speak. Yes.
2: So that's another one. The uh, That's kind of really three of four th- or two of four. So we've got, of course, just normal crop insurance payments. And then yep, the fourth is, of course, payment. yeah. And then and then, of course, the prevent plant now potentially turning that into cover crop or forage crop for those folks, livestock producers, especially that. Might be hurting from that this year.
0: Now, here is the million-dollar question, Delaney, and I've sent out an email requesting clarification. I have not received an answer from a good friend of mine who is a crop insurance whiz. They're at Auburn, uh, Auburn Agency in Nebraska. Um, if I am growing a cover, let's say I want to chop it, can I sell it to a neighbor who's mm-hmm. a livestock producer? I don't know if that's allowed. In previous years, okay. you are typically not allowed to take a profit from the crops you've grown as a cover, but this is a crazy year. They've already up to September. Can I sell it at least at cost of seed? Or, mm. I mean, is there any flexibility here to help ease the forage right. crisis? Daniel Olson talked about last yeah. week. And again, folks, Forage Innovations, that's Dan's company. Uh, check them out. I mean, of all the people we've talked to, lately with an emphasis in forage, uh, Daniel has an incredibly deep bench of knowledge. Yes. If you're curious about how you can help livestock producers in your region or where you can find some synergies given some prevent plant acres, give Daniel a call. I think it was last Thursday we talked, to Dan. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it sounds like last Wednesday or Thursday.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you can always find those episodes, again, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. But, uh, yeah, I think what you, what you said there makes sense, and that's an interesting question, too. But, unfortunately, it just sounds like we're getting lots of, Lots more questions as opposed to answers from the USDA.
0: Yes, but at least we know you can graze and chop and uh, feed those crops on September 1 rather than waiting until November, which means you can plant some summer crops, you can get some primo quality forage uh, on September 1 rather than having to wait until the frost kills it in November. Mm -hmm. So it's a big win if you're a cow-calf producer, if you're a feedlot operator – Take that into consideration. If you're looking to prevent plant acres, hey, this should help ease your mind a little bit and maybe free up some opportunities for some feed. Definitely take it into consideration.
2: Yes, definitely take it into consideration.
0: Well, Delaney, speaking of taking things into consideration, we have some good news on the Mississippi River today, Friday, uh, the longest day of the year, June 21st. Do you want to know what that? Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, today is, the, is it the summer solstice. Is that what you call it?
0: It's the summer solstice, That's the longest day of the year. From here on out, it's just darker and colder and everything well, is terrible.
2: It's already until raining. We and, 21st. Great. It's already raining and cold and dark today anyway, so that's crappy. This honestly has been like probably the crappiest summer yet.
0: Yeah, year without a summer. We're going back to that year that uh, the volcano erupted back in eighteen oh nine or ish.
2: That's the last time that's the last time we've had like a year like this?
0: Well, that was the year without a summer. And actually, yeah. that was a catastrophic year for American agriculture. A lot of producers didn't have anything to show for the year. Early 1800s. Listeners, find me on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Find us at Agnews Daily. Correct me if I'm mistaken. There was a volcano that erupted in the South Pacific. It spewed enough CO2 and ash into the air that it effectively eliminated summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Crops failed. Livestock died. Pastures failed to grow. It was a genuine uh, bad time for a lot of folks in agriculture.
2: Well, we I think it was
0: 1809. It, it might have been 1811.
2: We haven't had a volcano erupt this year.
0: No, we haven't. We haven't. We've got other things on our mind. But I've got some news. So coming back to my story, which is the news story of the day, the Upper Mississippi River Delaney Howell is open for business. The U.S. Coast Guard said the Upper Mississippi past St. Louis Harbor is open as of this afternoon. However, that's kind of creating some trouble of Mm -hmm. its own because there are now dozens of Towboats, boats that have been sitting at St. Louis with hundreds of barges that are now trying to fight their way north, and they say that uh, because there's just the sheer volume of river traffic, there are going to be significant delays at the locks and dams along the river, and we don't know how long the river is going to be open. Uh, again, this rainfall that is sweeping across the northern Great Plains could once again push, push us back into flood stage. And close the river. So, hopefully, if you've got fertilizer heading north, I mean, it's a little late, but maybe it'll get there. The good news is, for those of us who are cash grain producers in the northern plains, they do expect southbound traffic, assuming nothing goes wrong, to reopen on the river from the upper Mississippi to the Gulf as of this Saturday. So, hopefully, by tomorrow, we'll see barges headed back south, laden, with corn and soybeans headed to the Gulf, Delaney.
2: Hopefully. But uh, I don't right. know if I hopefully I'm, that's yeah. A yeah, yeah. Okay. How many
0: rail cars of soybeans will it take to fit in a barge?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, let me think about this. I'm gonna say ten.
0: Great answer. It is 15. Okay. One barge can move 15 rail cars worth of soybeans or corn. I mean, take your pick. At the end of the day, getting those barges moving really increases efficiency of uh, Northern Plains cash grains producers. So hopefully we'll see the river open tomorrow to southbound traffic, and hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the Northern Plains, we can start seeing some barges of soy and corn begin to move south to for partners, rather than having to truck mm-hmm. them out on fifteen rail cars apiece, because that just gets expensive.
2: You really are kind of just like a random assortment of facts. You know that?
0: I am. My brain is worth very, very little, but <laughs> I friggin' rock Delaney at bar trivia.
2: At bar trivia, all right. Well,
0: I, I am a rock star at bar trivia because my brain is full of nothing but factoids. Yeah,
2: random useless factoids.
0: Exactly. Love if it's it. something that'll pay the bills, I don't know. I, I don't know when it's due or whatever. <laughs> but if it's something that will help me earn a free cocktail, you're gosh darn right I know the answer. Great, mubbly. You picked the right business partner, Delaney Howell. Mhm.
2: hmm Obviously. Alright. Well.
0: Hey speaking of business partners, I got one piece of news I gotta throw this in there. Okay. It's not come up. Out- commodity market related, but it is essential to commodities. The S&P 500, the widest benchmark of stock market performance, hit an all-time high on Friday of this week. Uh, Second straight day in a row, the S&P 500 hit a record high. Basically, the stocks have been buoyed by expectations that the U.S. and China are going to talk next week. Trump and Xi are going to get together. They're going to bro-hug it out. (laughs) <laughs> and we're going to see a resolution to these trade disputes. Honest to goodness, that is what is driving the stock market right now, and it is spurring the S&P 500 to a record high. Now, it, it has since pulled back. As we're recording here at about 1.30 the afternoon, the S&P has, has dropped back a few points from that record high, but we hit it earlier today. Same story, we hit it yesterday. On Thursday, so two sessions in a row, we have maxed out the SP 500. So,
2: yeah, I have a hard money time believing.
0: Pulled from commodities into equities on these uh, trade resolution thoughts.
2: I have a hard time believing that they're going to, quote, bro hug it out.
0: I really hope they do, though, Delaney. I'm going to be honest, I'm there for it. Okay. I, I really hope we see some picks of like, like Trump. Right hand with President G, you know, left hand around the back, and they're just pounding each other on the back, you know, mm-hmm. straight up entourage style, hugging it out, you know? Okay. Nice. I feel like that's what international trade needs right now.
2: <laughs> I don't see that going over too well, but uh that's what you want to see happen. Some bro then. hug. Yeah, all right. Well, hug it out. Uh, well,
0: I know you listen to the podcast. Yeah. Give President G a big old bro hug. Okay. Give him a big old pound on the back and then throw it up with some gang signs. You know, I mean, something... You know, nonchalant and chill, but let him know it's West Side. Are you done? I guess. Okay. I'm just trying to shape future trade for America, Delaney.
2: Okay, well, maybe you belong in D.C. Then, Mike.
0: No, I'm not some kind of a bootlicking toady.
2: I've never heard that phrase before. Seriously? No. Mm-mm. Oh, all right. Well, uh, I've got one other piece of news here before I'm out. Kind of two pieces, but it's both related to the biofuels industry. The first piece here is the Health Ways and Means Committee had a really long um, hearing yesterday. I watched some of it on uh, some of my friends' Snapchats who work out in D.C. for AgriPulse. But they have approved a broad tax bill. That includes an extension of those biodiesel tax credits that we've talked about and incentives for biofuel infrastructure as well as wind power. The new bill essentially just revives the old tax credit that was in place, which is a dollar a gallon biodiesel tax cut. And a blender pump infrastructure credit, as well as a wind production credit, along with several other credits through the year of 2020. A lot of folks are just saying, eh, this doesn't really do anything to fix the issue. It just kicks the can further down into the future and is a temporary extension. So that's one piece. Then when you look at things going on in the ethanol side of the industry, President Trump is uh, definitely making some waves. He was in or was he in Council Bluff? Well, no, he was in Council Bluffs in West Des Moines last week or two weeks ago, but got a lot of questions from folks about specifically what he's doing with the EPA and the refiner tax credits. And it mm-hmm. sounds like he is taking a beating from farmers, pretty mad about that. But uh, one source close to the president said that it is creating turmoil at the EPA, which has... Over 40 exemptions now to consider from 2018. They're a little confused on how to handle this, but uh, President Trump, it sounds like, is ordering to change those RFS exemptions.
0: Change them how? Quit granting Mm -hmm. them or grant all of them. That's a big distinction.
2: I think to quit granting as many is what it sounds like to me.
0: All right. That would be a big win. We're asking all producers if that's what we end up hearing out of the White House.
2: It's still questionable, but that's what it sounds like he is uh, making his demand to be.
0: All right. Well, President Trump, I know you're tuning in. Go ahead and make that demand. ExxonMobil does not need an exemption. They need to be blending fuel that is good for the farmers, that is good for the air quality, that is good for the engine. And we need to promote E15. Come on, President Trump. Do it.
2: All right. That's all the news I've got, though. Perfect. I've got one other
0: story for us, Delaney, and this is something I want to reach out to our listeners with. I know we have listeners across the Corn Belt and down the Southern Plains. So, cattle-producing friends in the Southern Plains, I want your thoughts on this story because I'm not entirely certain how to interpret it. So, the USDA has reached a consent decision and a civil penalty with Cargill, apparently – at their Frionia, Texas, packing plant, Cargill was not operating a fair scale. The monorail, the dynamic monorail scale that they were running to weigh out beef in the meat was inaccurate. Now, so people sued. Cargill got sued. Uh, excuse me. USDA sued under the Packers and Stockyards Act. And now Cargill has said, all right, we'll agree to this. Cargill has agreed that they will no longer fail to meet applicable accuracy tolerances established by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and they have agreed to pay a civil penalty of $22,500. The reason I want our listeners in the Southern Great Plains to respond is, A, how many of you have sold cattle to the Cargill plant at Freonia, and... How many of you are concerned with the fact that you're not getting any kind of a rebate from this mm. settlement? If yeah. Cargill was running an inaccurate scale, I assume that means they weren't paying the producers extra. They were probably shortchanging producers who ran fat cattle through that plant. How do you deal with the fact that that is your packing plant and that that, at times, might be your best bid in the neighborhood? They're not reimbursing producers Cargill is effectively just right in check for two five, and they are free and clear. So How do you feel
2: about that? I, I'm and let surprised. us know. Find us on
0: Facebook and Twitter. You can reach us at Ag News Daily at uh, either of those places, Facebook or Twitter. I want to hear your thoughts.
2: This seems like the type of thing that would make a pretty good class action lawsuit.
0: That's exactly my thought, Delaney, is why aren't producers – I mean, maybe the scale wasn't off that much, that it doesn't mm. justify the time, but that's why I want our friends in the Southern Great Plains to respond and let me know what their thoughts are, because if they're shorting us, I don't know, X number of dollars per head, and you're running 2,000 head through, boy, that dollar's up awful quick. Yeah. I would be a little salty if all Cargill had to pay was twenty two five and they can continue to monitor the scale. I would be I I'd be I'd be pissed frankly.
2: I I think I would too, especially when we look at the, the cattle markets right now not doing supremely well.
0: Exactly. I mean another 30 cent a hundred is money in your pocket. Yeah. So Listeners, I've reached out to some friends of mine down in the Texas panhandle. i want to hear from you. Reach out to us on Facebook and on Twitter at AgNewsDaily. Let us know if you sold into that Cargill plant at Brionia. Let us know if you were told of this legal action mm-hmm. taking place or if you knew that Cargill was, according to USDA, shorting the scale, according to the Packers and Stockyards Act. Because this, I think, deserves more headlines. This should certainly be a black eye Uh, for Cargill
2: okay well something we will uh yeah hopefully we people get some get some people to send in their opinions there
0: darn right holler at us
2: holler at us all right well let's uh let's take a look at the commodity markets for today Mike what do you say
0: Let's do it. Delaney, I tell you what, our markets, whether they're good or bad, they are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. And I tell you, whether the markets are good or bad, you have opportunities to make some sales. You have some opportunities to hedge your risk. Do that with our friends from Zayner. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the website at zaner, Or And if you do that, be sure you tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Honestly, folks, as a producer, not a great day in the markets. It is red all down the screen. Grains and livestock. The only exception is dairy, where the trade is mixed. In the corn market, September corn was down seven and a quarter at four forty-seven and a half. December new crop down seven and a half cents at four fifty-three and a half. In soybeans, the August contract was down thirteen and a quarter cents. Finished the day at nine oh eight and a half. November down thirteen and a half. Finished at nine twenty-seven and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, the September contract was only off a penny on the day. It finished at nine thirty and three quarters. December was unchanged. It finished the day at five forty one and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock again, it was tough to catch a bid today. August live cattle down a dollar seventy two fifty. Finished at one hundred two twenty two and a half. The October down a dollar forty two fifty. Closed the day at one hundred four fifteen. In feeder cattle, the August was off $1.02.50, closed the day at 133 and a half. September, down thirty-two fifty, closed the day at one thirty four oh five. And hogs is where the bloodshed really began. The August contract was limit down, down the daily $3.00 trading limit, closed the day at $77.90. October, also limit down $3.00 to so the downside, finished the day at seventy two seventy two fifty. dollars as I mentioned, the dairy market was the only place that saw mixed trade today. The June contract was up a penny at 16.30, with July down two cents to finish the day at 17.09. For our conversation today, to wrap up the week, we are talking to Ms. Leslie Kelly. She is a farmer from Saskatchewan, Canada. I've got to be sure to pronounce that correctly. She and her husband have been very active in talking about mental health among farmers. And I had the privilege to talk to her after the Women Land and Legacy Conference in Brooklyn, Iowa. And these are her thoughts. All right, well, I am here at the 7th Annual Women Land and Legacy Women's Landowner Conference in Brooklyn, Iowa, and this is a a great conference. They bring in all kinds of great speakers, talk about topics that are of interest to women or really of anybody in the world of agriculture, and they brought down a foreigner (laughs) for this year's conference. They brought down somebody that I'm sure a lot of you are friends with or at least aware of on Twitter, Ms. Leslie Kelly. And I got the chance to speak with her, and she shared her story at the very beginning. She was the kickoff presenter, did a fantastic job. And Leslie, thanks for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me in Iowa.
0: (laughs) Well, we're excited to have you here. You tried Casey's Pizza. What'd you think?
1: It was so good. I'm going to go back before I fly out and get the breakfast pizza.
0: Excellent, excellent. That will com- complete your, your hazing process to become an Iowan. Um, they brought you down because you have been very active in spurring conversations about mental health in agriculture. Can you bring us up to speed? What got you involved in this to begin with?
1: Uh, I would say two, three years ago, I would never imagine myself as being someone who tackles the stigma and a- advocates for mental health, but. Through seeing myself uh, going through some challenges, seeing my family, my friends, my loved ones um, have lots of hardships, and hear the stories of farmers and what they're going through um, motivates me to help the industry in any way I can. And that one way is mental health.
0: And you're not just a disinterested observer. You're actually a, a farmer. Your family farms up in Saskatchewan. Yes. Did I say that correctly? Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. (laughs) And uh, so tell us a little bit about your, your operation.
1: Yeah. So we live south of Saskatoon. Uh, Well, north of Regina, right in the middle of Saskatchewan. Regina. (laughs) Regina. (laughs) Giggle, giggle. (laughs) And we have a 7,000 acre farm. We grow a multitude of crops like canola and oats and wheat and durum and barley and peas and lentils. And I farm with my mom and my dad Mm -hmm. and my brother and my husband.
0: And that's fantastic. So you've got really a multi-generation operation mm-hmm. and you said two or three years ago you never saw yourself as as making the attempt to try to break the stigma. What happened two or three years ago that made you decide to go this direction?
1: It was when my girlfriend put out a tweet looking for resources because someone was looking for resources because a family member had died by suicide and they couldn't find any. and watching that conversation unfold on Twitter of yes, we need to do more. And we wanted my husband and I wanted to take it to the next level, make it as real as possible to normalize the conversation, what it means uh, to us, and that no one is alone. You do not have to struggle alone in silence. And so we did a live video, uh, about 20 minutes and uh, I shared that I had postpartum depression after our second child was born. Matt shared that he has, he is living with anxiety and the stress through the farm, uh, what his triggers were and how he helps to manage it and what we do to help each other. And after that video, it, it, um, opened lots of conversations and lots of doors of, and, well, the next step was then creating the, the foundation called Do More Agriculture.
0: So Do More Agriculture, mm-hmm. that's, that's really kind of where you put a lot of time and energy. Yeah. Explain a little bit, what does that foundation do?
1: Yeah, so we are a year and a half uh, old. We are a not-for-profit that focuses on championing the mental health of uh, Canadian producers, where we try to inspire and encourage and support uh, producers to, to better mental wellness and we focus on a few things, awareness being one. Uh, We've never really been encouraged in agriculture to talk about mental health. Uh, It hasn't been on many agendas, and so destigmatizing, bringing more awareness. The second one is building community. So we have a hub of resources that people can go to our website and look for resources that are specific to their area. And then the third one is research. We need to know more. Uh, And the more that we know, the better.
0: I'm fascinated by the research angle. I completely agree with with everything else you're doing, but on the research side, where do you even begin? Who do you talk to, or what aspects of mental health, particularly in the countryside, mm-hmm. need to be researched?
1: Oh, I yeah, that's a great question, and I know we have gotten many uh, emails and lots of questions as to for for others that want to do research in this field and. So we look to our partners, uh, especially for us out in Ontario at the University of Guelph, and look at the questions that we need to know more on. So is it various, what sectors are being impacted the most, is there generational components, Um, what do people want in resources, do they want text, do they want telephone, do they want? Videos, do they want in person? And maybe that's different based on generation or um, male versus female. So the more that we know, the more targeted and specific that we can be to get help to, to the people that need it. That's fantastic.
0: Uh, th- that's a big, that's a tall order, mm-hmm. so to speak. So let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. Look out five years from now, Leslie. Oh. You're five years in. You've been traveling the country. I know you do a number of speaking events. You do, you do. much <laughs> older. <laughs> she'll be 28 by then. Uh, you're, you're doing all of these events. What to you is a success when you look at Do More Ag? What, what will make you go, yep, we did something good here?
1: Oh, we get lots of questions on... Uh, can you, what's the word, know if you are making an impact? And that is really, really hard because someone might hear a presentation that I do or someone else or see something on TV and then five years later, Uh, pick up the phone and talk to someone. So it's really, really hard to identify. For me, it's seeing uh, those stats about, you know, farmers are reported to be twice as likely to die by suicide. It's that 60% that are classified as having anxiety, seeing those numbers decrease. And then for me, it would be the openness of the conversations that you see people on the street saying, you know, I, I see that you're, you're going through something or you haven't been yourself and how are you? Um, seeing our community um, talk about mental health just as easy as we talk about the weather. Well,
0: and, and you and your husband really made the first effort with that with your video. I mean, it's weird to speak about it in this terms, but you came out as having postpartum depression, as dealing with anxiety. A lot of our listeners know I have major depressive disorder and these are things that do need to be talked yeah. about. But what was the response Mm -hmm. when you first published that video? This was three years ago. I mean, we weren't as far along in the conversation as we are today.
1: Mm -hmm. We were actually, we didn't know if the video was the right call. We were um, anxious about putting that online because I actually Googled farmers talking about mental health, could not find um, anything. And so we talked about uh, some of the risks and the risks were, would our lenders... Uh, give us the operating loads that we need Um, would our landlords uh, give away our land so those were some of the risks but the reception that we got afterwards was totally not what we had anticipated so a few aha moments the aha moment was when some individual said I didn't realize that's what anxiety looked like Um, I have similar signs and symptoms, and that had been their normal. So they thought that was their normal. And that like was an aha moment for us and and for them. And the other ones were it gave people the the hope and the encouragement to have conversations. People thanked us for saying, hey, now I know how to talk about mental health, or I feel confident to bring it up at the kitchen table. And some of them just said, that's what I needed to go and get help. And that, to me, uh, is the number one reason why we did it.
0: That's incredible. Three years ago versus today, how different do you think the response would be today? Are, are people more accepting of having these conversations or in three years has just not much changed?
1: Uh, I've seen, uh, well, especially in Canada, immense change where you wouldn't have seen many or if any conversations online. Now it's I see it daily. I see more farmers saying, I've gone through this, and this is what I've done, whether that's, um vocalized through the media or in board. I've seen um, at boardrooms executive teams uh, sharing their stories, and how powerful is that to then help lead their team and then I've seen it at um, events like this and at kitchen room uh, kitchen tables. so
0: it's fantastic um, happens everywhere. well, happens. mental health happens everywhere mm-hmm. and I don't know, mental illness? What? Okay, let's talk terminology, yeah. because that was brought up at this uh, at this conference a little bit. Dr. Mike Roseman said, let's use behavior rather than mental, just yeah. to kind of break the stigma. I mean, mental illness? What do you call it? Is it like anxiety, depression, yeah. mental illnesses? Is that the best word we've got for it so far?
1: Uh, you know what? I don't know the best term to call it. I see mental illness, to me, because I've seen... Those who have a mental illness but have really good mental health. I've. That's
0: th- a great a great uh, juxtaposition.
1: Yeah. So I view mental illness in a way that has brought my family uh, closer and stronger together. So I don't have uh, a negative perception to mental illness as right. some other uh, people might have. But that's because. Uh, Over the past few years, I've done the mental health first aid training, um, been very, very vocalized and have met amazing people who are living with a mental illness and have um, their lives are are amazing. things that they've done.
0: So, again, it's just changing that stigma. I need to get that mental illness concept out of my brain. It's not a bad thing. It just is a thing Mm -hmm. now. Leslie, before we let you go, you are incredibly active on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> you're very active on uh, your blog. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you're a podcaster. So let's start with Twitter. Where can listeners find you if they want to follow you more on Twitter?
1: I am on Twitter at, at Leslie Ray Kelly. And on Instagram, Facebook at High Heels and Canola Fields.
0: And your blog is?
1: HighHeelsandCanolaFields.com.
0: So tell us, what do you talk about in your blog? Because we didn't even talk about the Leslie Kelly who's the marketer, the Leslie Kelly who's gone to the city and then come back to the farm. You tackle all sorts of topics in your blog. What should they expect if they click on that or head to that website?
1: Oh, I love to talk about things that I'm passionate about that My hope is to make someone else smile. So I talk about my family, my kids, uh, what I'm seeing, and, you know, and also just sharing a
0: laugh. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And you podcast.
1: Uh, Yeah. So let's talk about the podcast. What's it called? It's called What the Farm, and I do that uh, with... Um, an Illinois farmer and XM radio host uh, Rob Sharkey and we are trying to bridge the gap between co- consumers and producers and you know through real-life conversations that talking to each other isn't hard and we learn a lot and uh, yeah some great conversations on that podcast
0: How long have you guys been doing that podcast
1: Oh about a year and a half now Is it really and I mean how's it going are you are you getting feedback that you're actually connecting with consumers yeah it uh, we tackle some you know we're not afraid to take tackle any conversation whether it's gun control in various countries or the other day we just interviewed a cricket farmer but we've also interviewed vegetarian butchers and things that just you know open your perspective of things that are outside uh production agriculture right on my farm so i we we do get lots of feedback from both those within and outside of agriculture um, and how they've learned to think differently
0: And, you know, in a challenging time, thinking differently could be the difference between success and failure. If nothing else, you're going to learn
1: something, you're going to grow as a person. And we hope, you know, a laugh or two. (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: Different thinkers are always good for a laugh. Leslie Kelly, thank you so much for talking to the group today, and thanks for
1: taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Well, that was Leslie Kelly. Thank you to Canadian friend from taking the time to be on the podcast, Lenny. It's great to hear that accent, isn't it?
2: I love it. I love that we can get folks from literally all across the world to be on the podcast. But listeners, if you have recommendations for guests that you think we should have on or if you would like to be a guest, we would be more than happy to have you. You can reach out to us at Ag News Daily on Facebook or on Twitter. Or again, I'm going to encourage you guys to go back and listen to that interview with Daniel Olson last week talking about the forage crisis. You can find any of our past episodes on globalagnetwork.com/agnewsdaily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go, Delaney.